0: It's Thursday, December 21st. Could getting kicked off a ballot be a winning issue? We start here. The Republican Party unites around Donald Trump, including his rivals.
1: They're saying they want to beat him at
0: the ballot box. What a Colorado calamity has done to the race. The U.S. strikes a
2: deal with a regional pariah. The Biden administration sort of slowly and quietly has reshaped U.S. policy towards Venezuela.
0: We'll break down a controversial prisoner exchange. And the leader of China apparently told President Biden he's taking back Taiwan.
3: He would sit across from President Biden and say it right to his face.
0: But does that mean China is ready to invade? From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. In a presidential race, when you talk about ballot access, that phrase usually means a candidate's ability to mount a national campaign. Like, do they have enough resources to meet all the filing deadlines in all 50 states? Do they have support from the state party and donors and organization? Well, in the case of former President Donald Trump, the answer to all these questions is undoubtedly yes. He's got the support, the money, and the backing. And yet, at the moment, if the election were held tomorrow, Trump would be on the ballot in 49 states maximum. Because when Colorado State Supreme Court found he engaged in an insurrection in violation of the 14th Amendment, they kicked him off the ballot and ignited a firestorm of controversy. Well, in the last 24 hours, all eyes are now turning to Trump's fellow Republicans, asking, what are the rest of you going to do about it? ABC's political director, Rick Klein, joined us this morning.
1: Rick, can you just describe this kind of... The reverberations in the political world here. Yeah, Brad, nobody saw this coming. Uh, All the other states that have looked at this, six and counting, uh, judges had rejected this. The lower court in Colorado had also rejected it. And I think for most people in the political world, they just thought, okay, this was an an interesting and very important question, but it was kind of settled. We weren't going to use this Reconstruction-era constitutional amendment to keep Trump off the ballot. There were attempts. They failed. That all got upended by the surprise decision in Colorado, and that has now reverberated across the campaign trail.
4: You saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies or let the court make that decision. But
1: he certainly supported an insurrection. There's legitimate questions no question. being asked of Joe Biden and of, of Donald Trump's Republican rivals. Do you think this is a good thing? Is this the right thing? Clearly, if he's not on the ballot, it makes it easier to win delegates in Colorado and maybe elsewhere. A presidential candidate running who's not been convicted of anything. That's a dangerous precedent. Most Republicans are just not convinced that this was sound law and that this is an appropriate ruling from Colorado.
0: In Colorado, the first question also is probably like, are you going to run against him? Is this a fair fight? What are the options, though, like specific to Colorado now? What are the options that we could see?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, Colorado is a super Tuesday state. It's probably not going to matter all that much uh, unless this is a really a protracted fight. But suddenly it's going to be really interesting. This is a hollowed out husk of what the country was built on. The basic principle that we the people select our leadership. Vivek Ramaswamy has said, look, if Trump isn't on the ballot, I'm not either. And he's challenging his rivals to pull their own names from the primary ballot. Or else these Republicans are simply complicit in this unconstitutional attack on the way we conduct our constitutional republic. Meanwhile, the Colorado Republican Party is saying, you know what, if you're not going to let Trump's name be on the ballot in the primary, we're not going to have a primary at all. We're going to switch to a caucus, which Mm. actually is run by the state party, not a state official, in which case the state Supreme Court can't say who is or isn't on the ballot. Ah. I talked to a Republican National Committee official who said, yeah, we're happy to let them do that in all likelihood. They just have to appeal and, and petition for that process to happen. So it's very possible that even if this ruling were to hold, not get taken up by, by the Supreme Court. Donald Trump could still get Colorado's delegates if if the, the Republican Party changes the system. But to say it creates some chaos is kind of the, the, the least of it.
3: This will rally Republican primary voters around Donald Trump. It makes Democrats look like they're going after
0: Donald
1: Trump. This upends the politics in Colorado, obviously puts pressure on the other candidates uh, to respond somehow. Uh, but it, it puts a big question mark right in the middle of the, the primary voting calendar.
0: Yeah. And can I ask you about the other candidates? Because what I find strange here is I could imagine one of these Republican rivals saying, yeah, he's not on the ballot because he betrayed our trust. This is on him. It's not on me. It's not on the courts. He doesn't deserve to be there. That's why you should vote for me. But that's not what they're doing, right? Like You mentioned Vivek Ramaswamy. Like Ron DeSantis said they're trying to make it easier for Joe Biden next November. I'm sorry. Doesn't DeSantis think he'll be running against Joe Biden? Like
1: it, This seems like people are sidelining themselves in favor of Donald Trump. It's a great point. And in some ways, it's not surprising to have Ramaswamy, who's very closely aligned with Trump, to to say that. But Ron DeSantis, um, that's another story.
2: Uh, I think that that is not the way uh, the the law is intended to be enforced.
1: He's Uh, trying to find a lane to, to take over as the heir apparent in the Republican Party. Nikki Haley is relishing the fact that Donald Trump's allies are attacking her on the campaign trail. Even Chris Christie, who, of course, has not been shy in criticizing Trump for his conduct on and around January 6th. He says this is not appropriate. It's kind of left to Asa Hutchinson, who, yes, is still in the race. to to be out there saying this is the problem with nominating Donald Trump. You've got all of these legal issues, all of these questions that are swirling, and yeah, actual questions about whether he's qualified to be president. But the flip side of all of it, Brad, is that there's an element to what the Republicans are doing, his rivals are doing, that plays into the central argument of Donald Trump. They want to silence me because I will never let them silence you. And in the end, They're not after me. They're after you. Trump is out there saying they're just doing this to target me. They're just doing this to try to stop our movement.
4: So I want to see this in the hands of the voters. We're going to win this the right way.
1: We've got Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and even Chris Christie who are kind of saying the same thing when they are Mm. saying that this is not a legitimate ruling. Even though they know it would be better for them politically, potentially not to have him on the ballot, they're saying they want to beat him at the ballot box.
0: Hey, last question. Rick, so far all these challenges to Donald Trump's candidacy had Fallen by the wayside, we thought. A lot of that felt like it was because no one wanted—like, everyone seemed to be agreeing, like, yeah, we don't love what happened on January 6th, but I don't want to be the person to say, like, this guy can't be on the ballot. That doesn't—like, I don't feel right with that. Could this decision now embolden other state officials or other judges?
1: Yeah, Brad, I think Colorado broke a a kind of a seal that had been on uh, a lot of people's lips around this. Uh, We're expecting a ruling out of the state of Maine, which is a state that Donald Trump actually carried an electoral vote from Maine in 2020. uh, But before the end of this week to decide a similar question, whether he's eligible to be on the ballot, the Democratic lieutenant governor of California has now publicly called on officials in that state to decide in light of this Colorado ruling whether Trump should be on the, the primary ballot in California, which gets more delegates to the National Convention than anyone because it's the most populous state in the country. And there have been kind of lower level challenges in a whole flurry of states, probably more than half the states that just haven't made their way through the legal process. And talking to people that are involved in it and the the people that were involved in this suit, particularly in Colorado, they are eager to see it taken up in more jurisdictions. So you could see kind of more chaos before it gets settled. And almost to that point, I mean, Trump is appealing this verdict
0: to the Supreme Court and also, at the same time, fundraising off of it. Some liberal groups have cautioned members not to gloat too much because this could all, A, definitely be overturned. And in the meantime, B, it's really firing up Trump's base even more. Uh, Rick Klein, our political director, thank you so much. Thank you, Brad. Next time on Start Here, why did President Biden make a deal with a nemesis? That's after the break. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor. You know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So, no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed credible doctors, and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. So if you don't pay attention to South American politics that much, the last time you might have thought about Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela i have been during this. Maduro meeting with military troops, rejecting an international ultimatum to call for new elections within eight days. In 2018, Maduro appeared to rig an election to keep himself in power. The leader of the National Assembly there, a guy named Juan Guaido, was recognized by many countries, including the US, as the country's rightful leader. But Maduro, and perhaps more importantly, his military, refused to hand over the keys, and Guaido eventually fled the country. You remember all this? Well, since then, Maduro has remained and our relationship with him has only gotten more precarious. In fact, several U.S. nationals have been imprisoned there in recent years. Well, yesterday, the U.S. announced they had struck a deal with Nicolas Maduro to get them back. Ten Americans now coming home, including six, considered wrongfully detained. But one man, also now on his way back, wanted by the U.S. ABC's Connor Finnegan is based in Mexico City, where he covers Latin America. Connor, what is this deal?
2: Hey, Brad, yeah, this is another deal that the Biden administration has hammered out to try to secure the release of American citizens held by an adversary. But it's perhaps the most controversial yet, and, and as you said, the most interesting, the most important for how it could reshape us Venezuelan relations. After months of secret talks between the U.S. and Venezuela, facilitated by the Middle Eastern country, Qatar, President Biden signed off on this deal after consulting with his senior aides. They decided that it was a difficult decision to make, but in their words, the right decision.
4: We have no higher priority than the release of detained and or hostiles, Americans being held hostages. In addition to that, Venezuela thus far is keeping their commitment toward the democratic election.
2: What unfolded yesterday had U.S. officials tense, because for hours, they didn't know if those Americans were going to be released until they were up in the air and on their way home. In total, the Venezuelan government has released 10 U.S. citizens, six of whom the State Department classifies as wrongfully detained, meaning that U.S. officials have been putting the full force of the U.S. government into trying to bring them home.
0: This has been a priority for us. Broadly, it's also been a priority when it comes to Venezuela.
2: They haven't released the names of all 10, but among them are Evan Hernandez, a public defender from Los Angeles, Savoy Wright, a California businessman, Jarrell Kennemore, a software engineer from Texas who had been living in Colombia, and Joseph Cristella. Three of the four of them were detained near the border between Colombia and Venezuela, and in some cases, perhaps held by armed groups affiliated with the government before they were transferred to government custody. Really interestingly here, though, is is another component. The Maduro government has also released Leonard Francis, aka Fat Leonard. He's a notorious defense contractor who was the mastermind behind the largest corruption scandal in U.S. military history, a $35 million scheme where he used prostitutes, luxury travel, even suitcases of cash to bribe Navy officials and steer contracts to his companies. He's now back in U.S. custody after escaping one year ago and fleeing to Venezuela.
0: Wait, wait, that's who we want to get back connor like not 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 to be indelicate but why why is that why is that the person to make a deal for
2: yeah it's a crazy story but he's one of the most notorious fugitives from u.s justice and and, um you know this scandal helped to bring down dozens of navy officials so it's really important to the u.s Mm. criminal justice system that he's back in custody importantly maduro's government has also agreed to release 20 venezuelan political prisoners they're releasing one opposition figure uh, critical to the opposition's primaries earlier this year, and they're dropping charges against three others.
0: Okay, so so that's who Venezuela is giving up, effectively, right? Who are we giving up then from the U.S. side?
2: Yeah, that seems like a lot to give, right? But but in exchange, the Maduro government is getting perhaps like their biggest fish:
3: Free Alexander! Free Alexander! Free
2: Alexander! a Colombian businessman named Alex Saab, who's been awaiting trial in the U.S. on money laundering charges. He's been called a bagman for Maduro because he essentially was moving money around the globe, trying to enrich the regime for years, even as the vast majority of Venezuelans have been starving. He was extradited from Cape Verde several years ago to the U.S. to face those charges, although he was still awaiting trial at the time of his release. They took him without letting
1: his lawyers or family know or anyone else know. This was truly a kidnapping of a diplomat by the United States government.
2: He is already back in Venezuela. He was greeted on the tarmac by his wife and daughters, and escorted all the way to the presidential palace. I think that gives you an indication of just how important he is to Maduro.
0: Yeah, it almost reminds me of when the U.S. was doing this exchange with with Russia and we exchanged Victor Boot, like this very well-known arms salesman, like very, he was considered dangerous for a long time. How dangerous is Alex Saab considered, I guess?
2: I think that image alone tells you everything you need to know about him. The fact that he was in the presidential palace within hours of arriving back in Caracas, Tells you how close he and Maduro are. He is important because he's able to move money around the globe for the regime in order to continue to prop them up amid those protests that we've seen, the challenges, the the sanctions from the U.S. and other countries. It's critical that that Maduro has men like Saab at his side to continue to bring money in to simply survive.
0: Wow. Okay. So then this is like a, a this blockbuster deal happens then, Connor. But w- what does this say at this point then about the U.S. relationship? With Venezuela, because like, obviously, we're back to recognizing Maduro is very much in charge of this country if we're doing these sorts of deals with him.
2: Yeah, I think, Brett, it's really interesting how the Biden administration sort of slowly and quietly has reshaped U.S. policy towards Venezuela. Remember, this country has been in crisis for years now. Economic crisis, humanitarian crisis, political crisis, and those crises altogether have created the largest refugee crisis in the world. More... Venezuelans have fled their country, then Ukrainians, then Syrians in totality. And, and that's really destabilized the, the hemisphere. Brazil is hosting more than 180,000 Venezuelans who have fled economic collapse and tyranny. We
0: start noticing the majority of that uptake is related
2: to Venezuela nationals. As a county, we are not resourced to handle this many people you know, coming in. From, from Canada all the way down to Argentina and Chile, countries are struggling with this Venezuelan refugee crisis, including in the U.S. And that's played out in other ways as well. In October, the U.S. rolled back temporarily, they say, some of the most important sanctions against Venezuela on their oil and gold sectors, among others. And so with the challenges at the border, with the, with the Venezuelan refugee crisis, the Biden administration increasingly needs to cooperate with Nicolas Maduro's government. And you've kind of seen that in how these talks behind this, this prisoner exchange played out as well. As part of the deal, you know, Maduro agreed to release those 20 Venezuelan political prisoners, but that was something that they were supposed to have done two months ago when they reached a deal with the opposition and the U.S. rolled back those sanctions. The fact that they're doing so now, only after the U.S. has released Saab, to some critics says that you know, Maduro is moving the goalposts here and Biden is simply meeting him wherever he tells him to, instead of standing up to the Maduro regime and, and putting their foot down.
0: Well, yeah, and part of that deal that you're mentioning, Maduro had said he would have free and fair elections in his country, but in his country at this moment, there is still a ban on political opponents running against him. So that's how far these conversations have gotten. All right, Conor Finnegan, thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. I should say there was another major piece of foreign policy news yesterday when word got out that in a private conversation, President Xi Jinping of China told President Biden that China will reunify the island of Taiwan. It's not quite the same as saying, hey, heads up, we're going to invade them at some point soon, but it's in the ballpark. ABC's Shannon Crawford covers the State Department. Shannon, it's not like this happened overnight, right? We're just, like, learning it happened a while back. Can you describe this?
3: That's right, Brad. Let me take you back in time. It's the middle of November... It's a beautiful vehicle. China's president and the U.S. president, they're meeting face-to-face for the first time in over a year in the San Francisco area on the sidelines of an important economic conference. Mr.
4: President, we know each other for a long time. We haven't always agreed, which would not surprise anyone. But our meetings have always been candid, straightforward, and useful. I've never doubted what you've told me in terms of your candid nature in which you speak.
3: Now, the purpose here for their engagement is to ratchet down tensions between the U.S. and China.
4: President
3: Biden and I agreed
4: to promote dialogue and
3: cooperation in the spirit of mutual respect. But we're learning now from American officials that during their conversation, President Xi brought up his intention to reunify Taiwan and mainland China. That's not something different uh, or new. Right after the news broke, reporters pressed White House spokesperson John Kirby about this aboard Air Force One. And he said the Biden administration has been clear. They don't support independence for Taiwan, but they also don't want to see a change in the status quo.
1: We still adhere to the one China policy. We don't support independence for Taiwan. We also don't support A change in the status quo unilaterally and certainly not one by force. And as the president has said, there's no reason for this to come to blows.
3: So really, what's shocking here is not that China's President Xi wants to invade Taiwan, wants to take it over perhaps, but that he would sit across from President Biden and say it right to his face.
0: Well, and for like a non-foreign policy wonk, when they say reunify, what does that mean? mean? Is that predicting a military invasion or what, what? what is that?
3: Well, it's unclear if he intends to invade Taiwan to take the democratic island by force or if he wants to seek a more peaceful route. But if actions speak louder than words and we're looking at China's actions in recent months, it's been steadily ramping up pressure on Taiwan through its military by air and by sea and even having some really close calls with U.S. military assets in the region in the process of doing that
0: you was going to say, where does this put the Biden administration at the end of the day? Because, like, do you basically have to tell China, OK, if you're getting ready to reunify, whatever that means, then we're going to get ready with our forces to defend them. Like, what, what do you how does the Biden administration have to react now?
3: President Biden has already come out multiple times and set a strong red line on China's actions toward Taiwan.
4: We maintain the agreement that there is a one China policy and that uh, I'm not going to uh, change that.
3: He said that if there's military intervention, if China seeks to take the island by force, the U.S. will intervene with the American military.
1: The U.S. should not bet against China or interfere in China's internal affairs. It should instead welcome a peaceful, stable, and prosperous China.
3: But Chinese officials have made their own stance clear. They're not going to be told what to do, and they're not going to be threatened.
1: Yeah, what
0: would it even look like at this point, Shannon? Like, do we have a sense of, like, we're coming up into a new year? Is is this the year of the invasion coming up? What do we think?
3: Well, there's been a range of estimates. Some predict it might be right around the corner, 2025. And some say it might happen all the way in 2050. And it's not clear that President Xi has formulated his own strategy on, on how to proceed But President Xi has made it clear he wants to see Taiwan under the Chinese government's control, and he's not going to stop until he sees that happen.
0: Yeah, and it's almost counterintuitive to hear American officials say, like, we're not looking for this group's independence. But here, that's pretty much what the White House is saying. We'd rather have the status quo, which is officially Taiwan's part of China. But in practice, they're very much just a democracy on an island nearby. We'll see what happens, though, in the near future. Uh, Shannon Crawford, thank you. Thank you, Brad. All right, one more quick break. When we come back, if you keep raising the price of cereal, eventually your customers will say Cheerio. One last thing is next.
1: Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author.
3: And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.
0: And one last thing, kids might be cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but their parents aren't crazy. In the last couple years, you don't need me to tell you, groceries have
3: grown more
0: and more expensive.
3: The soaring costs are unavoidable.
0: What you used to get, no problem. Now you have to say, okay, maybe I'll get it next month. Every month it seemed to be something different, in part because there were so many factors. When everyone was sitting in their homes, baking for themselves, there were runs on yeast and butter. When poultry factories were overwhelmed, it was chicken and eggs. And when Ukraine went to war, wheat prices went up. And now, even with inflation slowing in lots of areas, we are still paying more for food. In fact, this has been a point of pride to some of these companies. In shareholder meetings back in 2021, when describing rising costs, the CFO of Kroger Grocery Stores said, quote, Generally, we've been very comfortable with our ability to pass on the increases that we've seen at this point. To pass on the increases that we've seen. He's talking about hiking prices for consumers. Procter & Gamble said it had also raised prices. And we have not seen any material reaction from consumers in terms of um, volume of take. And mind you, this wasn't just... To keep up with inflation, these companies' profits soared. In June of last year, with inflation around 9%, General Mills came out and said it had just doubled its profits from the quarter before. The reason? Well, several price hikes. Yesterday, though, the CEO of General Mills admitted they might have overshot a little. In an earnings call, Jeff Harmoning announced weaker-than-expected sales last quarter. We are seeing consumers continue to display stronger-than-anticipated value-seeking behaviors across our key markets." Did you hear that? Stronger-than-anticipated value-seeking behaviors. That means shoppers are done with the price hikes. They're off looking for deals somewhere else. Harmoning said something else illuminating. He said, Usually, in times of high prices, consumers will stop going to restaurants, they'll cook at home more. This time, despite menu prices and tips going up, people are not buying more groceries. Have we reached our limit? General Mills stock ended up dropping almost 4% yesterday as this news came out, and with other companies also saying demand is slowing, they're not the only company checksing themselves cereal prices are no joke, which you know if you've got kids, or you know because you're like me and you have the palate of a fourth grader. Sometimes you just want some cinnamon toast crunch for dessert, you know? Anyway, enjoy the longest night of the year. That's right, it's solstice time. More on all these stories at abcnews.com or the ABC News app. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow.